Ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable George W. Bush. I'm so sorry, Miss Nelson, but it's time. Please, just a little longer. He's waited his whole life for this. Thank you all. How Thank all you. of his vitals are Thank failing. You. We're barely keeping him alive on life support. Madam Speaker. Oh, I'm just not comfortable with but, it. But he has Mr. to hear Leader, this. Members of Congress, then we can Secretary let him go. Powell, okay. Um, I'll come back guests. in a few minutes. Thank you, Doctor. I have a strong interest in World War II airmen. I was raised by one. He flew with a group of brave young men who endured difficult times in the defense of our country. Yet, for all they sacrificed and all they lost, in a way, they were very fortunate. Because they never had the burden of having their every mission, their every success, their every failure viewed through the color of their skin. Being black in America was the original catch. So no one was surprised by 22. The segregated airstrips, separate camps, they did the jobs they've been trained to do. Bert, hey Bert, did you hear, did you hear? What in the world, where am I? They're gonna let us fly. Don't think I can, Starks. I'm stuck in a hospital bed. They're about to cut off my life support. You're not listening, Bert. They're gonna let us fly. You and me, brother. Without a white man to keep an eye on us? Yes, sir. It's gonna be just us, an all-black flying unit. Ah, uh, come on. Bert, take a few minutes before you go. Slow down. Remember. Just remember. Nobody told them okay. to credit to their I race. remember. Nobody refused to return their salutes. Nobody expected them to bear the daily humiliations while wearing the uniform of their country. It was different for the men in this room. When America entered World War II, it might have been easy for them to do little for our country. After all, the country didn't do much for them. Even the Nazis asked why African-American men would fight for a country that treated them so unfairly. Yet the Tuskegee Airmen were eager to join up. I still can't believe it, Starks. We changed their minds. Old Lady Roosevelt did. First Lady Roosevelt, you must mean, right, Starks? You know what I... Respect, Starks, respect. Yeah, yeah. What did she say? Not much. She visited the Tuskegee Airfield. Chief took her up in the Piper J3 Cub for a whole half hour. And when they landed, she looked over at him and smiled and said, Well, you can fly, all right. And that's all it took. Not all, Starks, but it helps. The NAACP has been lobbying the military for years to give us a chance. It's one of the reasons we were even able to start training. Yeah, but the War Department is saying they're going to officially activate the 99th Pursuit Squadron over Chinook. And thanks to old Lady Rose, I mean, First Lady Roosevelt, we're getting 175,000 smackaroos from one of those rich people foundations to build Martin Field. What do you think of that, Bert? Starks, I think we better hurry up and enlist before they change their minds. <laughs> These men in our presence felt a special sense of urgency. They were fighting two wars. 
One was in Europe, and the other took place in the hearts and minds of our citizens. That's why we're here. The white commander of the Tuskegee Airfield was once asked, with all seriousness, and reflecting the ignorance of the times. So, uh, Commander, just how do African Americans fly? Oh, they fly just like everybody else flies. Stick and rudder. Soon Americans in their kitchens and living rooms were reading the headlines. You probably didn't realize it at the time, but you were making headlines at home. Headlines that spoke about daring pilots winning a common battle. Well, it took almost two years, Bert, but here we are, first mission. You're the spirit of eternal optimism, Starks. Two years and thousands of slurs later, we have been called inferior, we have been shoved aside, held at a higher standard, even when we could fly rings around those white dogs. But now flying our first combat mission, Bert. Our first combat mission. Yay! An island clearing the sea lanes so the white fighters can do the real work. You just gotta have faith, man. Just gotta have faith. We're gonna prove ourselves. America at war. Operation Corkscrew, a resounding success in an unprecedented victory resulting from a three-week air campaign and 6,400 tons of bombs. Allied forces have seized the islands of Pentelaria and Lampedusa and paved the way for Operation Husky and the Allied forces' long-planned invasion of Sicily. Allied Supreme Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower described this mission as an experiment to determine the effects of concentrated heavy bombing on the defended coastline. And when the Allied forces landed on the islands, 11,121 Italians and 78 Germans willingly surrendered. According to Area Commander Colonel J.R. Watkins, a great deal of credit for this victory goes to the 99th Pursuit Squadron, America's first African-American fighting squadron known as the Tuskegee Airmen, who received a Distinguished Unit Citation for their performance in combat in Sicily. In a message to Airmen, Commander Lieutenant Colonel Benjamin O. Davis, Jr., Colonel Watkins said, I wish to extend to you and the members of the squadron my heartiest congratulations for the splendid part you played in the Pantelleria show. You have met the challenge of the enemy and come out of your initial christening into battle more stronger and qualified than ever. Your people have borne up well under battle conditions and there is every reason to believe that with more experience you will take your place in the battle line along with the best of them. In my opinion, as commanding officer of the 33rd Fighter Group, to which the 99th were attached, they have failed to display the aggressiveness and desire for combat that are necessary to a first-class fighting organization. It may be expected that we will get less work and less operational time out of the 99th than any squadron in this group. Furthermore, the Negro type is not the proper reflexes to make a first-class fighter pilot. It is my recommendation that the 99th be reassigned to the northwest coast of Africa and have its P-40s revoked in exchange for the Bell P-39 Air Cobras. In my view, however, it would be best if any and all Negro fighters be held in reserve for homeland defense. 
I would add that the 99th pilots haven't the stamina or the sustainable qualities of white pilots. In fact, they have no outstanding characteristics to distinguish them in combat and present no fulfillment of any pressing battlefront need. They really wrote that. They did. We performed as well, if not better, than anyone else that day. What about our citations? What about the fact that Colonel Marnier himself ordered us into a ground attack role that's normally reserved for pilots with years of experience? And yet his pilots, who actually have those years of experience, these choose to frame us. None of that matters, apparently. Their complaint has gone all the way up the chain of command. The War Department is investigating our performance in the Mediterranean. And what does Colonel Davis say? He's furious. Monier went behind his back with a memo. He feels blindsided, especially since he'll have to testify before the advisory committee on a Negro troop policies. Our future depends on what their final report says. And what the white men writing it say. When you do common things in life, in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. What? George Washington Carver. We're doing something great here, and it's rocking the boat. But the boat needs to be rocked. Bert, have faith in the vision of what we are and how others will eventually see us. Copy desk, this is Walt, just in. Colonel Benjamin O. Davis Jr. just testified before the Advisory Committee on Negro Policies, calling upon his distinguished record and indisputable loyalty to the Allied cause to support his case. In exclusive interview following testimony, he said, I knew it would have been hopeless for me to stress the hostility and racism of whites as the motive, although that was clearly the case. Instead, he adopted a quiet, reasoned approach presenting the facts about the 99th in a way that would appeal to fairness. Colonel Davis Jr. explained that they had performed as well as any new fighter squadron, black or white. Quote, yes, there were mistakes made in the first missions, but this would have been true of any squadron handicapped by a lack of experienced pilots. Instead, these men had matured from inexperienced flyers to seasoned veterans in an astoundingly short period of time. What happens now that Davis has testified? We wait and keep fighting. Black ground crews kept them in the air. Black flight surgeon kept them alive. The whole group removed their headgear when another pilot died. They were known by their names, Ace and Lucky, Skyhawk Johnny, Mr. Death, and by the positions and planes. Red leader to yellow wingman, do you copy? If you could find a fresh egg, you bought it and hid it in your ducket or boot until you could eat it alone. On the night before a mission, you gave a buddy your hiding places as solemnly as a man dictating his will. There's a chocolate bar in my Bible. My whiskey bottle is in my bedroom. Bert, Bert, did you hear? Did you hear? What's that? The War Department. Completed a study in our combat operations. Ruby, suppose I should pack up and go home. I wouldn't go that far, Bert. They not only agreed with Colonel Davis, they validated everything he said. Let me see that. It is the express opinion of this committee that there are no significant general differences between the performance of the black and white fighter squadrons. And public opinion is turning in our favor. Time Magazine, 
the New York Times, all of them are backing away from their support of Monier and his crew. They're actually praising us now. I'm speechless. It's like I told you, Bert. Have faith in the vision, hope in the dream. In beat up flying tigers that had seen action in Burma, they shot down three German jets. They were the only outfit in the American Air Force to sink destroyers with fighter planes. Fighter planes with names like, by request, sometimes the radio didn't even work. They called themselves Hell from Heaven, Spookwalk, my father's old friends. It was always maximum effort, a whole squadron of brothermen raced across the tarmac and mounted their plane. Tuskegee Airmen helped win a war, and you helped change our nation for the better. Yours is the story of the human spirit, and it ends like all great stories do, with wisdom and lessons and hope for tomorrow. And the medal that we confer today means that we're doing a small part to ensure that your story will be told and honored for generations to come. Well, my friend, I hope you're hearing this wherever you are. I hope you and, and all of them are hearing this, seeing this finally, the Medal of Honor. Took until 2007, but you've been a hero a lot longer than that. You are hearing this. Aren't you, Bert? I am. I never thought I would. It's like the first time that little kid came up to you, remember? Yes. He said, Mister, can you really fly an airplane? I wasn't always sure I could. How about the time earlier this year when you saw one of those young soldiers at an airport? Remember what he said when he found out you were a Tuskegee Airman? I'll never forget. It's not often that you get a chance to meet the guys who paved the path for you. That's what he said. Even got a picture with you, so his children would know he met you. I remember. I'll never forget. Good. I am sorry, ma'am, but it's time. And I would like to offer She's right. a gesture. It's time. You okay with that, Bert? Yeah. Good, because we're ready for you. We got a big old shindig plan. And one final flight. And so on I can't wait, Doc. I can't wait. Go ahead, Doctor. And a country that honors you. Go ahead. I salute you for the service to the United States of America. <laughs> oh, I am so sorry, ma'am. Oh, it's silly, really. He wasn't even a relative of mine. He was my father's friend. They fought together. They all felt like family, though. I thought I should be here. It's what Daddy would have wanted, and... I wanted him to. Oh, I, I've been by the side of hundreds of patients when they've entered their final moments, ma'am. He heard. I know he did. My tent mate was a guy named Starks. The funny thing about me and Starks was that my mattress leaked and Starks didn't. Every time we went up, I gave my mattress to Starks put his on my cot. One day we were strafing a train. Strafing bad news. You have to fly so low and slow. You're a pretty clear target. My other wingman and I exhausted our ammunition and got out. 
I recognized Starks by his red tail and his rudder trim tabs. He couldn't pull up his nose. He dived into the train and bought the farm. I found his chocolate bars, three eggs, a full fifth of his hoarded up whiskey. I used his mattress for the rest of my tour. It still bothers me sometimes. I was sleeping on his breath. And that concludes Lonely Eagles. It was based on and featuring the poem Lonely Eagles by Marilyn Nelson with a story by the Tridelphia Middle School sixth grade social studies class of 2019 teacher, Mr. Brad Sorge. Please give a round of applause. These folks gave so much time to us. Rosie McAllister is Marilyn. Reverend Rudy McAllister is Bert. And an honorary Tuskegee Airman himself, Mr. Ambrose Bowling. Woo -hoo. Woo -hoo. As Bert, yours. <laughs>